This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. One of the things that started to help me as I approached the holidays is like, I've got to actually like clear some room to make room for these new things because, you know, time really can't be managed in the sense that it's just a limited, finite resource. You still get 24 hours in a day. And so I think approaching the holidays with a lot of time sobriety, like, okay, I've got real limits. And so how am I gonna fit these new things into an already busy and full calendar? In the lead up to the Christmas season, we can feel completely overwhelmed by our lack of time. What does it look like to move through this time anxiety? Well, I get to chat with my really good friend, Jen Pollock-Michelle. She has a fabulous book coming out this December called In Good Time. And over the next three weeks, we're going to chat about what it looks like to actually experience God's good time in the midst of a busy season. Listen in to this conversation with Jen. Welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales, author of A Spacious Life. I love big ideas, but ideas have to move beyond an ivory tower to find their application in the midst of our work and our laundry routines. Here on the Finding Holy Podcast, expect conversations about how to live faithfully in a post-Christian world, but without the vitriol, posturing, or shouting across the aisles. Friends, I'm excited in the weeks leading up to Christmas to help us think clearly and confidently and humbly about time. And so I've asked my friend, Jen Pollock-Michelle. She's the author most recently of the book, In Good Time. And we're going to help apply some of these lovely, thoughtful, wise words that she has in her book, In Good Time, to our actual busy season. So thanks, Jen, for joining us. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I'm glad to chat with you, Ashley. I know. It's so lovely. So, you know, as we think about time, you write in good time. You can say even holiness can read like a long, exhausting list. But whatever our religious persuasion today, busyness is pushed upon all of us as expectation, as duty. It's life's de facto characteristic. The days run swift and swollen like a river after rain, and time anxiety is one of humanity's most chronic pains. And you talk about, you know, when we say, how are you, right? The answer is busy. So help us understand this time anxiety that we live with, especially as modern Western people. Yeah. One of the things that I really talk about in the book is that time anxiety is not new. You know, I think sometimes we think it's it's a new problem. It's a new problem in a digital age, incidentally, which you know, ironically, I guess, because our devices were supposed to give us so much more time. And yet it just seems like time is the thing that keeps disappearing. It grows scarcer and scarcer. Um, But, you know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks to people about their time anxiety. Which of you, by being anxious about your life, can add a single 
single hour to it. Um, and of course, it really was an hour in the Greek, um, in the New Testament Greek. It was add actual stature to your life, like a cubit of uh, like a, you know, a, a measurement of length, which of you could actually add anything to the length of your life. So I think time anxiety is old, but I also think that there are particular ways as 21st century people that we feel anxious about time. And I think part of that is just because we're expected to manage our time. You know, that's sort of the the ethics of time management are upon all of us, you know? And so when we feel like busy, not just busy, but overwhelmed with our busyness, we kind of grow convinced we must be doing something wrong. Um, and I, and I think that was me for so many years, you know, I was an avid reader of time management books. I had a busy life. Um, I have five kids. I have a busy husband, um, you know, work, I mean, just the things. And so I always was looking for that next like tip or trick or technique from a time management book that was going to solve all of that for me. And of course, like (laughs) it really didn't. And the irony was, you know, we got into the pandemic And suddenly we kind of had all that time we craved and it didn't make me feel any better. I don't know if it made you feel any better. (laughs) I, you know, it is interesting when you think about some of those early days. So our youngest was in kindergarten, which, oh goodness, you know, trying to, to teach our children online (laughs) with, you know, kindergarten through middle school at that, at those ages, um, but we became really regiment, regimented in our time. It was the only way through, right? To be like, here's your hour and a half, you're doing this. And then we're all going on a family hike. And, you know, and then we're going to do a one by one sort of walk with our children in the afternoon because there was a sense in which you had to organize your time to simply get through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for me, it was a little different. My kids were older. Um, so I sort of felt I was reading all the articles that said, now's the time to organize your garage and your pantry. And that's going to make you feel like you're in control of the season that's totally upside down. And, you know, sort of like right diagnosis in the sense of like, we're all feeling very time anxious right now. Um, and but wrong, sort of wrong cure, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us, you know, as we think about heading into the Christmas season um, and, you know, this kind of this sense of we've always felt probably time anxious towards the end of the year. Where does that stem from um, particularly? What are kind of false expectations that we can begin to kind of process so that we're not bringing some of that time anxiety into our celebration of the incarnation of Jesus? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I was telling you, and we may have even mentioned this on a previous recording for your podcast, Ashley, but I remember probably about five, six, seven years ago when I realized every like December, early December, like I have a meltdown where I just lose it with my family. And I really hadn't paid attention to that pattern until like one particular year. I remember it was so bad, actually, Ryan came home with the kids after school, like with a cake for me, like, let's serve mom cake and maybe she will get into a better mood (laughs) for Christmas. Um, But what I realized is, okay, I think, again, if you, if you sort of approach time anxiety with a time management um, mentality, 
it's always upon you to solve the problems of time that, you know, you just must not be doing it right if you're overwhelmed or if you can't get through your list. Um, And I think that that is a terrible expectation in the month of December, because what happens in in the holiday season is not only do you have your own life that you feel just normally sort of busy and overwhelmed with, now you have like all the things you've got, all the activities that are on the calendar that are sort of exceptional, and you've got gifts to buy, and you've got menus to plan, and you've got family emotional drama that you have to sort of anticipate and and think about. So it's just not a reasonable expectation to say um, all of that's just going to fall smoothly into place. So one of the things that started to help me as I approached the holidays is like I've got to actually like clear some room to make room for these new things because you know time really can't be managed in the sense that it's just a limited finite resource you still get 24 hours in a day and so i think approaching the holidays with a lot of time sobriety like okay i've got real limits and so how am i gonna fit these new things into an already busy and full calendar that's good um I mean, because often we just and there's also this added pressure of like, you need to make everything magical, right? Like this has to be beautiful and seamless and, you know, has to have that je ne sais quoi, you know, like, like, <laughs> and how are you supposed to do that, you know, in the midst of your everyday life? And it's also that I think part of it is must be more difficult now is like this the sense that we don't live communally too. Right. And so it's, it's up to nuclear families. It's, um, to make this magic happen, which is a totally unrealistic expectation. Mm -hmm. I think you put your finger on something, um, that I just continue to notice about life is just, um, as we have more kind of digital input, our expectations for life increase incrementally. So now it's not enough to just wash your face at night. For example, you have to have like the perfect um, regimen of skincare and, you know, which requires you to kind of wade through all the consumer options. I mean, that's just one thing. So then you go out to buy a gift for someone and the pressure is inordinate. And, and it's just like, how are you going to find that perfect gift? You know, well, you could research endlessly um, different options. What are you going to make for Christmas? Do you even know how to make a good turkey or a beef tenderloin? You can spend hours just researching these kinds of things. And um, one of the ways I think, I think you're right. I think that we don't, we can't manage our time. We can't give ourselves more hours, but we could certainly sort of just take it down a notch in terms of our expectations. Like, the per, you know the magical christmas that you really want to have well what what actually to take a guess a book from Kendra Adachi like what really matters for your christmas gathering with your family is it that you have to have like every dish has to be perfect the table has to be perfectly set everybody has to have perfect gifts like no i mean what are the things that really matter and how can you invest your time in those things and then obviously i mean <laughs> I've just mentioned gifts and um, menus and table setting, not to even mention that these are not even the primary focus of Christmas. Um, so reorganizing really our whole expectation for what we're celebrating. What practical steps have you taken? You know, how have you gotten past your your early December breakdown, you know, so that you've been able to name and notice and um, tell yourself what matters and let things, some things go. Meanwhile, there could be folks all around you who 
haven't yet uh, found that path of wisdom, let's say. Mm. Well, I I think I'm still very much finding it (laughs) or, you know, remembering to follow it, remembering to follow the paths that I once named. Um, But part of it is just um, spreading out the work. Um, And I mean that even, you know, you don't have to do every all of December's work in December. You know, there are a lot of things that you can do in months um, coming up to December. So I actually have really tried over the last several years to spread out the gift giving um, or gift buying, I should say. I get really, uh, I guess, anxious about getting gifts because I know on the one hand, like I do want to communicate to the people I love that they really matter, that I know them, that I've like really tried to buy something thoughtful for them. It's not it, that's what I'm, I get stressed about is that will they feel my love, you know, get, receive this gift as an expression of my love for them. Um, so I've been trying to, I keep a list all year, you know, it's just as people mention things, I write it down. I try to pick up things. I literally just picked up, well, my son edits his podcast, so maybe I can't tell you this, but I did pick up some fun Um <laughs> I picked up some fun uh, gifts last weekend. I was just out at this grocery store and it was just sort of random. And I thought, well, why not? You know, it's October, but I can buy that now. And I think you mentioned living in community. And I think um, it's very easy as a mom to feel that the whole Christmas celebration, like the whole month of December, it rests upon you to sort of execute flawlessly. And asking your kids, you know, what matters to you and like, how can you be a part of that? I, I think that part of my earlier meltdowns were a lot around like kitchen and food, which I love. I love to do all of that. But then, you know, I've been doing it for 25 years and, and it's way more fun now that my kids are old. Like I'd rather for them, I'd rather spend that time together with them. So like if, and they love the food too, they've grown up loving all of that stuff. But I'm like, well, I need you to help me a little bit more um, because it'll be more enjoyable for me and it'll be more enjoyable. Um, And then you'll have a nicer mom on the other end of it too, I guess, if we're doing these things together. Right. And yeah, there's no point in stressing one member out of the household so that no one can actually enjoy the actual thing that's created and, mm-hmm. and meant to, meant to serve, you know, family togetherness. Let's say, you you um you write in your book about the difference between Chronos time and Kairos time. Can you help us understand those differences, and then can you help us understand how that might matter as we think about the holidays, as far as what different time types of time that we inhabit. Yeah, that I think that's a great question. Chronos time is just the time that we measure with our clocks. So in Chronos time, every moment equals every other moment. There's nothing really to distinguish one minute from another. It's just, and that's productivity is really, uh, it's focused on Chronos time. Like how can you make all of those units of time, standardized units of time matter? And, you know, how can you make them <laughs> carry as much load as possible? Kyra time is kind of, and you know, it's interesting because I've done a lot of work on this and biblical scholars, you know, some people would say that the Bible bears out that these words are used um, very differently. Um, And then some would say, you know, New Testament authors really are 
kind of interchanging them, Kronos and Kairos. So it's not as if if you're in your kitchen and you're looking at your watch and you're, you're timing the rolls to come out of the oven, you're living Kronos time. But if you're at church um, for an Advent service, you're living Kairos time, this time that really incorporates the eternal, the story that we're living in time, this this idea that God is outside of time. And, and so there's this time that God lives that isn't really about the minutes, you know, it's about the fitting time when Jesus came into the world, you know, at just the right time. And so Kairos kind of is pointing us toward a larger story that we're living in time um, to the eternal. Um, But again, like you're living Kairos time when you're waiting on the rolls, when you're waiting in line to buy a gift for your family. I think for me, one of the phrases that I came across in my research um, that really started to situate things for me was fitting time fitting time. The idea of like, what is fitting for a particular day or season? And that answers the question, you know, what, if I, if I don't do it today, it won't, like I'll miss an opportunity in some way, or if I don't do it in this particular season, um, I'll miss that opportunity. And I think Advent and Christmas, um, are, ask us to sort of um, look at fitting time. What's fitting for this particular season? You know, it's actually not, you, you can buy nice gifts at any particular time, but like there's actually one season in the calendar that invites you into the anticipation of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And, and if you miss it, you miss it. I mean, you go, you'll come around to it again. Um, so fitting time ask us to to really look at the moment of now and what is the best way to sort of inhabit this time of now. Um, I think that's really helpful because it's not just saying, well, what can I get done in these few minutes in these standardized units of time? But um, what is this season inviting me into in particular? And of course, it's a great question for Advent. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. That's really helpful. Thank you. I think that's a beautiful question. I think we can all, and, and the listeners as well, take with us. What is fitting during this season? That might be a really great way to frame, you know, um, some of the end ending months of the calendar year. You know, as we think about that question, um, 
what, you know, are there other sorts of questions that you've carried with you to, to make sure that your chronos time is not, um, you know, always driving the boat, uh, versus, you know, making sure that you have, you know, that some of that space for reflection, um, so that Advent actually does prepare you to celebrate the birth of Jesus. I think that one of the practices that kind of helps us to sort of get out of our chronos mentality of make every minute count is to practice things that just take more time. Um, conversations with people actually are, are something that I think don't really fit into chronos time. If you tell you, and sometimes, you know, sometimes you schedule a call with a friend, a long distance friend, and you say, really only have an hour. For me, I don't think I can catch up with a long distance friend in any less time than an hour, probably. But it's so wonderful. And we can all think about those enriching moments that you spend with people and you actually totally lose a sense of time. You know, those people who came over and you put the kids to bed and before you knew it, it was midnight. And you thought, oh my goodness, I didn't even look at the time. Um, spending time with older people. I think that I have, we've moved back um, to the States to care for my mom who has some health issues and is, is obviously aging as we all are. And so when I go and visit her and I now get to know her neighbors, I realize how slowly I have to live in time in order to be patient with the kinds of interactions that people want. Um, because there a lot of those people are just, they're lonely. They just want you to sit down, have a cup of tea, chat with them for a little while. Um, I mean, that's true for children too. You know, children take a lot of time. They take time to tie their shoes. They take time to button their coats, you know? So these ways where we can just sort of remember, we can inhabit some slower practices. Um, you know, maybe it's with people who are differently abled than us. I think that um, it's very hard sometimes to just walk slowly, um, to talk slowly, to repeat yourself to someone who, you know, may um, have more difficulty hearing you. Um, these are some things that I think, I think they challenge our, ethics of I've got to move fast. I've got things to get done. I'm, I need to move through the world efficiently with as much wishes with it, with as little resistance as possible. Um, yeah. So those are, those are some thoughts. Yeah. What are you, um, you know, just as we kind of wrap up these short episodes, what do you, what sorts of time practices have anchored you particularly, you know, as you've come you've moved, right? And, you know, so you're, you're kind of reevaluating some of those practices, I imagine. But, you know, as you come through the holiday season here in the U.S., and there's probably a sense in which maybe American Christians are, maybe, are they moving faster than Canadians? Yeah, yeah they're moving yeah. faster, I think so. Yeah. So what sorts of practices have helped slow you down? Well, one of the things that I think is super important, um, this is going to sound like Kendra Adachi again, which I just, I do, I really appreciate her work um, and Emily P. Freeman, but this whole idea about naming your season. Um, I think that one of the reasons why we're super aspirational with time and then on the other end of aspiration, super like self-critical and self-condemning because we never live up to our aspirations, it's because we don't name our season. We don't really reckon with the limitations of a particular season. You know, sometimes we're living a season of time where there's lots of possibility. And in some ways, I, I think that that is true after you make a move you know, you don't maybe have the same volunteer commitments that you had in a previous place, or you don't have the same relationships established. So you do have possibilities for 
what you say yes to and what you say no to. And then at the same time, you know, sometimes you like for us moving to back to the States in order to care for my mom, there are some real limitations there, ways that I want to be present um, to her that then sort of foreclose on other possibilities. And so we're always drawn to possibilities like because it's fun. It's fun to start new things. It's fun to feel like, you know, you can get sort of caught up in the momentum of something new. But sometimes you just need to reckon with. No, I mean, hello, um, a spacious place, right? (laughs) Sometimes you just have to reckon with your limits, name your season and say, you know, I'm in graduate school or I have little children or I'm caring for some eight, my aging parents, or we're in the middle of, you know, a house renovation, or um, I already have these volunteer commitments whatever, so that you don't get super aspirational with your time. And so, and especially in December, like it's Christmas, Christmas is upon us. And we've got 18 activities just this week alone. Maybe now is not the time to get super aspirational beyond kind of getting the normal stuff done. Right. And I love how you're saying, even involving those in your community, whether it's your family or roommates or um, church community neighborhood to say like, what actually matters to all of us? so that we we know how to name our season appropriately. Well, thank you, Jen, for giving us a little bit of hope and some practical places to hang our hat as we move through this season. Can't wait to talk some more about what does it look like to live well in time. Thanks, Ashley. I hope you enjoyed that first conversation with Jen Pollock-Michelle. Don't forget to pre-order her book, In Good Time. She's going to have a series of workshops that you can participate in online through the month of January to help you think about how your time actually intersects with your real life. You definitely don't want to miss it. You can grab that book and the pre-order bonus in the show notes. And I wanted to let you know, I am giving away five copies of Jen's book. So all you need to do is leave a rating and review of the Finding Holy podcast and go ahead and then email me at findingholypodcast at gmail.com for your chance to win one of those five copies. You don't want to miss out. And I do want to leave you with one small step. And I would simply ask you to name what matters this holiday season, whether that's time with good friends, whether that's time in front of the fireplace, whether it's making sure you make it to worship every Sunday in Advent, whatever it is, write down what is the thing that matters to you this season. And if you are in a larger household, ask those that belong to it what matters for them then you will stop spinning your wheels just a little bit. Thank you, friends, for being here. It is such a pleasure. Remember, big things matter, but so does the laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast, two clergy of different traditions. Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.